Our Bible reading today comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 1 to 10. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Amen. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, you are truly awesome, holy God and we just are so grateful that you, the power behind everything that is, are filled with love for us and that out of your steadfast love you send your Son and that your Son in love for you and us lay down his life on the cross to pay the price for our sin and having paid the price ascended on high where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon us that we would be born again and enter into your kingdom as part of your family, as your children to serve you to the glory of your name. And so, Father, today we ask that you would again come to us by your Spirit and that your Spirit would take us to a whole new level of being faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Salvation is free because it was paid for by another. It's free for us, paid for by another, and that is Jesus. And he paid the price in full, totally and completely. But Jesus not only saves us from the wages of sin, he also calls us to become his disciples. And and the discipline of being a disciple of Jesus can cost us everything. It demands a decision so radical that it may involve forsaking one's home, as it says in Luke 9.58 or even the rupture of the closest family relationships, Luke 9.61. Love for him and the kingdom of God is to take priority over love of everything else, Luke 14.26, Matthew 10.34.39. And his great commission, Matthew 28.16.20, is not just to go out and get people saved. His purpose 
is far greater than that. He has called us to go out to people everywhere and make them his disciples with the discipline of the rule and the reign of God's kingdom operating in their lives constantly. That's our God-given mission. In fact, let me say to you, I preached in a church that was really had this great mission statement and I actually said, um, the only mission statement churches really need is go make disciples of people everywhere <laughs> and baptise them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, etc. And I said, the problem is that most churches have a mission statement that disempowers their witness rather than empowers. The pastor got a bit sad about that. But why would I say that? Because let's be honest, I've been in churches that have some great mission statements of, of all that. And my observation is that the mission statement actually fails on a number of levels. One, most of the people sort of know it and don't live it. And two, it talks about that but doesn't empower the people to live it. Jesus said, go make disciples. And he empowers us to do that because that's the whole purpose of the Spirit being poured out upon us, that you will be my witnesses, that people will come to know who I am and give their lives over to me and become a disciple. That's a very different deal. Too many churches have lost sight of Jesus called to make disciples of people everywhere these days. Okay? In fact, they've got no idea, I think sometimes, of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Some years ago, a 17-year-old girl wrote a letter to a church paper. Deeply concerned for the church, this young woman wrote under the heading, Who cares? This is what she wrote. The church is getting close to death. Instead of being one in mind and body, we're beginning to resemble a religion. Factions are causing rifts in the church. Jesus Christ is almost secondary. Faith is almost a forgotten word. And witnessing is almost non-existent. How many people have been saved in the last year? Every, every day, thousands are going to hell. And who cares? The church is stagnating. People find all sorts of excuses for not acting. This has got to stop. Rely on God's power, not your own. That's an incredible, desperate cry from a young woman who loves the body of Christ and the Lord of the church. And I tell you, we must not dismiss her words as youthful idealism. They should challenge us to take a serious look at our own lives as disciples of Jesus. The New Testament challenged all false understandings of Christian life. And the most radical challenge is this. Christians are, are radically different. Radically different. In fact, to spell that out, they are to stand out like a beacon on a hill. Now, one of the things that I always get amused at in these days, we still go to the candle power and, you know, we light the candle and think and all that. And I think this beacon on the hill should be like the brightest laser light that you can imagine shining out, visible to everyone. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Radically different, light of the world, okay? And if we're really caught up by the gospel of Jesus, you can see it. Everyone can see it. Now, once you go into that, you go... As the people see, most Christians, they don't see much difference at all. See, this is the real challenge, friends. We're to be radically different. It's our task 
to make disciples, okay? And if we're going to do that, then we need to know what a disciple looks like, okay? And that's our focus today. Seven characteristics of true disciples of Jesus that will empower you to save, enfold and mature people in Jesus Christ. Paul actually listed them in our reading uh, in his first letter to the Thessalonians that we heard before. He teaches that true disciples are firstly, number one, people who know the presence of God, the presence of God. They are, and this is what he says, they are in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first words almost that he says. It's in verse 1 of that letter. Now, in actually indicates a vital union, a living relationship that Christians have with God in Christ. It's, it's like as we come to faith in Jesus and we invite Jesus into our lives, we actually become one with him and in the oneness we have with Jesus, we become one with the Father in heaven and the Spirit of the living God witnesses that to us constantly if you really walk in faith. There can be no other way about that. They know, in other words, disciples know the reality of Jesus' promise, I will ask the Father and He will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him or knows about Him. But you know Him for He lives with you and He will, He will be in you. That's awesome. We're talking about the Spirit of God. If you really think about it, it's the life energy essence of the creator of the universe will be in you. I've got goosebumps right now. Okay? That's truly awesome. Disciples of Jesus are not those who simply know about God, even if they've come to trust Him at some level. Because if that's the level, it simply makes them Orthodox Jews or God-fearers. Christians belong to both God the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they know that they do not belong to themselves or to the powers of the world, for they've been purchased for a price. The blood of Jesus shed on the cross outside Jerusalem paid the price, purchased them redeemed them from Satan's realm to live faithfully in the light of God's kingdom realm. We can't get any different than that in this world, friends. Disciples of Jesus are people who've heard the gospel of Jesus' life, death, resurrection and ascension, believe he is God's son, the Lord of lords and therefore have totally surrendered their life to his lordship, confessing him as their saviour. I'm going to put something radical to you now. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, He is not your Saviour. Okay? Because to know Him as your Saviour, you have to know Him as your Lord. Because if you is not Lord, you haven't surrendered your life to Him. That's scary, isn't it? But that's the way it is, friends. Jesus, the spiritual, personal, incarnate, fulfillment of the presence of God and when you accept him as your Lord and Saviour, he indwells you with his abiding presence and that presence makes all the difference. In a different way, I want to say to you, we are all to be presence bearers. The old covenant was based on written laws which had to be obeyed. 
the new covenant is based on the gift of the Holy Spirit who is to be followed. And the difference is chalk and cheese. Every command of Jesus is made possible by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Disciples of Jesus have turned from a life in which they looked for security, happiness, significance in anything or anyone but God, that's idolatry, to serve the true and living God in the power of His Spirit, that's the Spirit of Jesus, and as they wait for His Son to return, to gather them in glory to Himself. That's what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Friends, the Son who God raised from death and who sits at the right hand of God alone rescues us from the wrath of God to come. There is no other way of salvation but through total surrender to Jesus Christ. And that's why disciples know, write this in, they are products of God's grace. Products of God's grace. Now, grace actually fundamentally means that which causes joy. The New Testament sees grace as God's favour or kindness to people in providing for their spiritual needs in His Son. In other words, the grace of God is the unmerited favour, forgiveness, wisdom, power, love and the presence of God freely bestowed upon undeserving sinners. That's the gospel, friends. And when it takes hold of us in the power of the Spirit, it actually doesn't become the gospel. It becomes our gospel. You know that? That's what Paul actually says. You heard our gospel. He doesn't say the gospel because for Paul and his experience and in his intimate connection with Jesus and then the Father in heaven now describes it as our gospel, like it's his gospel. You know how this spins out? Actually, you hear words like he, he will say, now I wonder if any of you have really dared to say this to someone if you're trying to disciple them. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is, an imitator of Jesus. It's tougher, doesn't it, friends? The gospel taking hold of us in the power of the Spirit becomes our gospel as the light of God's presence becomes evident. Okay, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5-9. Now, while we was pastoring in Geraldton, one of the church members' friends, who was an unbeliever, actually worked in the same hospital that she worked in, said to her, there's something about you that's very different. I don't know what it is, but I want to find out what makes you tick. So I know you go to church. I want to come with you to church one day because I know that's part of what's different about you. This is interesting, friends. This lady brought her friend to church. This is what the unbeliever said afterwards when she would ask some questions about it from, from the friend. From the moment we entered the building, I sensed a strong presence of love. I didn't like the singing, but the love touched me. Then at the end, when those people went forward and we'd made an altar call, I sensed the presence of power. This is an unbeliever said. The love and the power were one and the same. This unbeliever sensed the presence of God in love and power. Now, I was there. In fact, I was pastoring. I was doing the praying at the front with some people. I did not have that sense of the presence at that point of time. See, we don't always have the sense of the presence, friends, but the presence is there if we're disciples of Jesus. And that presence, I think I said this somewhere, attracts bugs, like light attracts bugs. 
and those bugs are the people that you should win to Jesus Christ. See, we are to be the most attractive people in the community. And it's not us. It's God. Now, there's two sides to this, of course, isn't there? When you have the light of God's presence shining from you and it really hits some people and makes them feel uncomfortable because, in a sense, it reveals the darkness in their life, they are going to react sometimes very negatively, which is why you suffer for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It doesn't, it's not a guarantee everyone's going to come. Ask Jesus. He got crucified manifesting the presence of God in that sense. That's the first thing. Number two, people who are filled with gratitude to God. A disciple is always a person of gratitude. Always thank God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2. Your friends, you see, disciples are full of thanksgiving flowing out of what God has done for them. You have a formula on your outline. You know, it's grace leads to joy and love leading to thanksgiving. That's how it is, friends. You know what bothers me more than anything? Some Christians go around like they've got a permanent state of stomach indigestion on their face. It shows. That is not attractive. Let's be serious about that. I mean, we sing... The old hymns, remember? We can, joyful, joyful will the meeting. I mean, my goodness me, what happened to the joy? I, I always said to uh, musicians, if we're going to sing some of those hymns, just quicken the tempo a bit so we've got joy in the house. You know what I'm saying? Joy is part of the Christian life, friends, and it should be displayed out there, okay? For the love and the joy in the Lord is discovered, friends, in the changes and the conflicts and the disturbances and the loss and the confusion which often makes others unhappy because it is, we're so radiant with it. And because it's in it of the Lord, it's unassailable, it's untouchable and it's undisturbable. That's why you can have the joy of the Lord in the face of the grievous situation because it's not human happiness which is created by happenings. That's what happens. You know, everybody wants to be happy, so they want happy happenings. Isn't that true? Well, that's not how it works in the kingdom. Joy is the outward manifestation of an inner experience of the grace of God. Now, note this. A proud person is never a thankful person. Such people cannot know the joy we're speaking of, for they never think they get as much as they deserve. Their pride cuts them off from the wonders of God's grace in Jesus. And let's face it, friends, there's certain pride in some folk that give and give, but to come and accept is totally alien to them. You know, I'll give myself in consecration. I'll give myself in martyrdom even. I'll do anything, but don't humiliate me to the level of the most hell-raising sinner by telling me that all I have to do is accept the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You know what I'm saying? There's few people in church like that. Not here. They think their church thing is the good thing that gets them into heaven. A lot of people will fall into that kind of trap. Church folk never experiencing in their hearts the grace of Jesus that leads to real joy and thanksgiving. Refusing to receive the gospel message that brings joy that comes from the Holy Spirit and so they sit in the pews all their lives lost in sin because they're lost in pride. Now, actually, um, visiting yesterday, and Mervyn suddenly said to me, and he pointed me to a photo of the Maasai tribe in um, Africa. 
and it was interesting because in my sermon I already had this and I go, the Maasai tribe in Africa have an unusual way of saying thank you. Translators tell us that when the Maasai express thanks, they bow, put their forehead on the ground and say, my head is in the dirt. See, this is interesting, isn't it? They understand well and truly what thanksgiving is. It's humbling. They show why it's so difficult for us because at the core of thanksgiving, it's an act of humility because when you really thank, you're saying, I couldn't, I fell short. Thank you for the assistance. Thank you for the help. Thank you for, isn't that how it is? So people who are filled with gratitude to God are disciples. Disciples, number three, are people who put their faith to work for God. Work produced by faith is the way that Paul puts it in that letter to the Thessalonians. Friends, disciples put their faith into practice. Paul is emphatic about this, that salvation is a matter of faith. It's not, not works. It's not, he's not talking about now we have to work to get saved. Faith is an act of faith, but he also knows faith leads to service. Faith is a personal trust in a living Saviour. Therefore, it cannot do anything else but transform the whole of life in such a way that our gratitude flows in works that bring honour and glory to God in and through Jesus Christ. That's why we've moved from law. The law says you have to do this. When you actually come under the grace of God and you are really thankful for the grace of God, your service of God is now an act of thanksgiving. That's not law. You now do it because you want to please God, not because you have to please God. That changes everything, friends. Absolutely everything. You see, our gratitude flows out in works and that work, that faith and that whole gratitude thing impels us to a ministry in the church serving brothers and sisters in the Lord and to a life mission in the world to gather people to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Our ministry in the church is to follow Jesus' example of disciple making by bringing new believers to the full maturity that is in Jesus. Jesus gave knowledge, modelling the significance of the knowledge and then gave specific practical things to his disciples to do. In that way, they grew in their understanding of the kingdom of God and how it operates. Number four, people who serve out of love for God. Disciples are people who serve out of love for God. Their labour prompted by love. Now we use the term to speak of services done without reward. Paul's term is actually much stronger than that. It means that out of love they have laboured, laboured to the point of real weariness, even exhaustion. To grasp the full significance, we need to remember that the Greeks had a number of words for love. The Christians passed over all those words in common use to take up the word agape, a word rarely used before they took hold of it and applied it to God's love for us and our love for God and our love for one another. The word agape rings through the New Testament. Not only did Christians have a new word, they had this whole new concept of life associated with it. For this is what John wrote, We can never know what love, agape, is from human activity. It is known only from God's great love for us, shown in the costly work of the cross. 1 John 4.10 We need friends to reflect on this love deeply, again and again and again, 
for so many popular ideas of love totally mislead us about what love is. God loves us. Get this, friends. This is the creator of the universe. This is the holy God. This is the truly righteous one. He loves us, although he knows full well our complete unworthiness. He knows that at best our righteousnesses are filthy rags, as it says Isaiah 64, 6. And Paul says it's done. And he still loves us. He loves us without thought of advantage. Continually he gives himself in love, which is for the blessing of others, not for the enrichment of himself. His love for us cost him dearly the life of his son as Jesus became Get this, friends, this is awesome. As Jesus, who was without sin, totally connected with God, actually became a curse for us, separated from the Father by taking on himself, who was without sin, your sin, my sin, the sin of the world. That's how much God loves. And he died our death in our place. And God's love does not leave us alone. It doesn't even stop with that. It keeps on drawing us to Jesus so that as soon as a person knows what agape is, really is, see, he is forced to a decision. Either yield to that love to be transformed by it or reject it. To yield is to be made new. By the grace of God, we begin to see people in some measure as God sees them and to love them as God loves them despite their behaviours and their attitudes even though they may be our enemies who are totally against us. You see, his transforming love leads to the real labour of the kingdom of God. That is the ministry that is truly the labour of love, the giving of oneself for the well-being of others. This labour of love is powerfully seen in the story of a Korean father and his family. During the 60s, his son was brutally killed by communists. The culprits were caught and brought to trial. At the trial, the father of the murdered boy appeared before the judge and asked that he be permitted to take the leader of his son's murderers and adopt him as his own son in place of the son they had killed. His plea was granted. So great and powerful and personal was the demonstration of love on the part of the father and the family that the young murderer gave his life to Jesus and subsequently all his relatives became Christian. That's the labour of love that Paul's talking about, that disciples are to manifest again and again and again. Number five, disciples are people who hold a strong hope, a strong hope in God, okay? Because they have endurance inspired by hope, okay? Now, the word translated endurance, friends, is always used in the New Testament for trials disciples of Jesus face. It means steadfast perseverance in the face of any persecution that comes as a person publicly displays their faith in Jesus and challenges others to put their trust in Jesus also. Jesus' disciples witness to Jesus as Lord that will always bring rejection by much of the world, and especially these days. And In fact, today, we are now come back to a society that's as pagan 
as Rome was, as the Roman Empire was in the time of Jesus. And the big issue then was, if you said Jesus is Lord, you went against the very cry of the empire, Caesar is Lord. You can't have two lords. So as soon as you went Jesus is Lord, in a sense you were seen to be committing treason in that empire. And that's why they were burned at the stake and fed to lions and all sorts of things. Crucified. So it goes. Christian disciples, though, are prepared to hang in because they have a hope. They have a sure, confident hope resting on what God has done in Jesus. Romans 5, 1 to 5, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. And what God is going to do as he brings to completion his work of salvation at the end of history. See, it's never passive resignation. Christian hope is not passive resignation. It's an active quality that's never overcome. Christians are always expecting God to redeem what is totally lost. That's why they should be the most optimistic people in the world. They know the truth of God's word. They know Jesus is God's son. They know he is the saviour who is able to completely save because he's the Lord of lords, the King of kings, who's conquered sin and death and who's conquered the principalities and powers and has poured the, and bound the strong man Satan and who is setting the captives free. They knew this to be true from their own experience when they became disciples of Jesus. For the message came, friends, get this, not just with words, but with power and the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 4-5. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Literally, it actually means be filled continuously with the Spirit. And you need to do that because let's be honest, we're like batteries, we leak. So if you want to stay charged, you have to keep being charged by the Holy Spirit. That's what that's about, friends. So important. For all that a disciple is to do can only be done in Him who gives them life, the Holy Spirit. We are totally dependent on the Spirit of Jesus. And the hope is that when we rely on the Spirit, regardless of what happens to us in this life, at the end of this life, However it ends, we will be taken into glory and Jesus will say to the Father, this person is one of mine. Wow, I've got goosebumps again. <laughs> That's awesome, friends. Number six as we come towards the close. Disciples are people who know the power of prayer because this is what Paul says, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your faithfulness, etc., etc., Friends, the importance of prayer, and I'll say this again, is that it maintains an intimacy with God. Jesus was a man of prayer. You know, sometimes he spent whole nights praying. At every key point in his life, he prayed to his Father for guidance and direction. He knew, and disciples will know also, that all true ministry is God-touched, is God-enabled, and is God-made. Prayer is the key that opens the way for God to move in our lives, in our community, in every way in this world. And around the world right now, friends, God is moving in power. Do you know there are more Christians in the world now than ever before? Tens of thousands of people are being gathered into his kingdom through faith in Jesus every day. We lose sight of that in Australia, but that's how it's happening. Disciples who are prepared to give themselves out of love to the power of prayer will see great things happen, even locally. Now, this happened in a colleague of mine's church. In fact, 
he started training for the ministry at 60 years of age, which means that after he did five years, he got to the point of retirement when they ordained him. He, he was an ex-army major, actually. Yeah. It's interesting. In this church that he was pastoring in Melbourne, a family brought their, how they, we would describe them then, as a spastic son for prayer. They were not believers. They were desperate. They came because of a neighbor's invitation. That church surrounded them in love and they began to pray for that boy. Not just once, but daily, weekly, month after month. Each Sunday at the worship services, they anointed him with oil, praying for a miracle. The change was amazing. Unable to walk at all when the prayer began, he started to take a few steps at a time unaided. But that wasn't the real miracle, friends. The real miracle was this. This boy who had been morose and sour had become radiant and the love of Jesus shone from him and such was the change in him. The whole family came to the Lord. That's in Melbourne. That can happen here because that's the business of God and his disciples. Number seven, people who display the reality of God in their lives. Disciples are people who display the reality of God in their lives. They are a model to all believers and, if you like, unbelievers. Friends, God's plan is simple, actually. It is for each and every one of us to be like his son. He uses each of us to raise each other up to that high standard. That's what the fellowship of the believers, the fellowship of the Spirit, okay, is really on about. Helping each one of us to rise to the level, to be focused, that we will become literally images of the living God, images of the Word, become flesh, presence bearers, if you like, of God. You see why I started with Christians are radically different? The power to preach both judgment and grace, forgiveness of sin, the kingdom of God are all because the Spirit empowers us to speak and to act as Jesus did. That's what disciples do. The power, therefore, because we have the power of Jesus, because we are to really manifest Jesus, this is what happens. We have the power to heal the sick. We have power to deliver people from the power of demons. We have the power to harvest lost souls into the community of the King of Kings. In every way, disciples are to be imitators of Jesus. That's what being a disciple is. You have the discipline of living according to the Master's way. That's why he's the Lord. You can always tell if you know Jesus is Lord. It's easy. You're either doing what he says or you're not. He's either Lord or not. And let's be honest about it, friends. We go in and out of that. Isn't that true? That's why we're under grace. And that's why God still loves us. And that's why we need to constantly be coming to him and say, Oh God, I blew it this time. I know I fell short of the mark. I know I failed. And as soon as you confess that, God goes, Think, and that is no longer even in your record. This is great, isn't it? <laughs> Such is the impact of the gospel on disciples' lives. They live at such a level of faith, it's to encourage other Christians in surrounding areas to rise above all their circumstances to proclaim Jesus is Lord. Now, way, way back, you may remember it, there was an old Mercedes-Benz TV commercial and it showed their car 
colliding with a cement wall during a safety test. Someone asked the company's spokesman why they had not enforced their patent on the Mercedes-Benz energy-absorbing car body, a design obviously copied by other companies. This is what the company spokesman said, because some things in life are too important not to share. If that applies to Mercedes-Benz, let me tell you, that certainly applies to us as disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus can save people from far more than car collisions. Eternity in hell is the option of not being saved by Jesus. And Jesus calls you and I seriously to be imitators of him, to fulfill God's purpose, to have a people made in his image, as it says in Genesis 1, 28. That's what the redemption's all about, friends. It's what the cross is all about that God will have that which he intended at the beginning of creation, a people in his image, presence bearer. You see, the master plan of salvation, friends, is Jesus' disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And he is calling every one of his followers to do this. Let's pray. Father, the preparing of this word and the speaking of this word challenges me to the core of my being. Because in lots of ways, all I can see is the things that I've failed you in. And so, Father, I ask right now that if that's true for, as it is for me, of others here, that you would forgive us anew, that you would grace us anew, that you would take hold of each one of us individually and together, and that you would move on us right now, quickening in us your Holy Spirit filling us again with your spirit, with your love, so that we would be manifesting your love, your grace, your mercy, your life, wherever we go in the days and the weeks to come. Not for us, but for your glory and for your purpose to be fulfilled and your kingdom to come. And for those people whom you passionately long to be in your kingdom would come into the kingdom because you have enabled us to witness to them and make them disciples of Jesus Christ as you are making us disciples of Jesus Christ. To you be all the glory and the honour, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen.